Chapter Three of the Conquest of Canaan by Booth Tarkington. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter Three: Old Hopes. The door which Ariel had entered opened upon a narrow hall, and down this she ran to her own room, passing with face averted the entrance to the broad, low-ceilinged chamber that had served Roger Tabor as a studio for almost fifty years. He was sitting there now in a hopeless and disconsolate attitude, with his back towards the double doors which were open, and had been open since their hinges had begun to give way when Ariel was a child. Hearing her step, he called her name, but did not turn, and receiving no answer, sighed faintly as he heard her own door close upon her. Then, as his eyes wandered about the many canvases which leaned against the dingy walls, he sighed again. Usually they showed their brown backs, but today he had turned them all to face outward. Twilight, sunset, moonlight, courthouse and moonlight, dawn, morning, noon, Main Street at noon, high summer, first spring, red autumn, midwinter, all were there illimitably detailed worked to a smoothness like a glaze and all lovingly done with unthinkable labor and there were italian flower-sellers damsels with careful hair two figures together one blonde the other as brunette as lamp-black the blonde in pink satin and blue slippers leaning against a pillar and smiling over the golden coins for which she had exchanged her posies the brunette seated at her feet weeping upon an unsold bouquet there were red-sashed fisher lads waiting with butterfly nets on their shoulders there was a tying the ribbon on pussy's neck there were portraits in oil and petrifactions in crayon as hard and tight as the purses of those who had refused to accept them leaving them upon their maker's hands because the likeness had failed after a time the old man got up went to his easel near the window and sighing again began patiently to work upon one of these failures a portrait in oil of a savage old lady which he was doing from a photograph the expression of the mouth and the shape of the nose had not pleased her descendants and the beneficiaries under the will and it was upon the images of these features that roger labored he leaned far forward with his face close to the canvas holding his brushes after the spencerian fashion working steadily through the afternoon and when the light grew dimmer leaning closer to his canvas to see when it had become almost dark in the room he lit a student lamp with a green glass shade and placing it upon a table beside him continued to paint ariel's voice interrupted him at last it's quitting time grandfather she called gently from the doorway behind him he sank back in his chair conscious for the first time of how tired he had grown i suppose so he said though it seemed to me that i was just getting my hand in his eyes brightened for a moment i declare i believe i've caught it a great deal better come and look ariel doesn't it seem to you that i'm getting it those pearly shadows in the face i'm sure of it those people ought to be very proud to have it she came to him quietly 
took the palette and brushes from his hands and began to clean them standing in the shadow behind him it's too good for them i wonder if it is he said slowly leaning forward and curving his hands about his eyes so as to shut off everything from his view except the canvas i wonder if it is he repeated then his hands dropped sadly in his lap and he sank back again with a patient kind of revulsion no no it isn't i always think they're good when i've just finished them i've been fooled that way all my life they don't look the same afterwards they're always beautiful she said softly ah uh, uh, he sighed now roger she cried with cheerful sharpness continuing her work i know he said with a plaintive laugh i know sometimes i think that all my reward has been in the few minutes i've had just after finishing them during those few minutes i seem to see in them all that i wanted to put in them i see it because what i've been trying to express is still so warm in my own eyes that i seem to have got it on the canvas where i wanted it but you do she said you do get it there no he murmured in return i never did i got out some of the old ones when i came in this morning some that i hadn't looked at for years and it's the same with them you can do it much better yourself your sketches show it no no she protested quickly yes they do and i wondered if it was only because you were young but those i did when i was young are almost the same as the ones i paint now i haven't learned much there hasn't been anyone to show me you can't learn from print never yet i've grown in what i see grown so that the world is full of beauty to me that i never dreamed of seeing when i began but i can't paint it i can't get it on the canvas ah i think i would have known how to if i hadn't had to teach myself if i could only have seen how some of the other fellows did their work if i'd ever saved money to get away from canaan if i could have gone away from it and come back knowing how to paint it if i could have got to paris for just one month paris for just one month perhaps we will you can't tell what may happen it was always her reply to this cry of his paris for just one month he repeated with infinite wistfulness and then realizing what an old old cry it was with him he shook his head impatiently sniffing out a laugh at himself rose and went pottering about among the canvases returning their faces to the wall and railing at them mutteringly whatever took me into it i don't know i might have done something useful but i couldn't bring myself ever to consider doing anything else i couldn't bear even to think of it lord forgive me i even tried to encourage your father to paint perhaps he might as well poor boy as to have put all he had made into buying jonas out ah me there you go flower girls turn your silly faces to the wall and smile and cry there till i'm gone and somebody throws you on a bonfire i'll never look at you again he paused with the canvas half turned and yet he went on reflectively a man promised me thirty-five dollars for that picture once 
I painted it to order, but he went away before I finished it, and never answered the letters I wrote him about it. I wish I had the money now. Perhaps we could have more than two meals a day. We don't need more, said Ariel, scraping the palate attentively. It's healthier with only breakfast and supper. I think I'd rather have a new dress than dinner. I dare say you would, the old man mused. You're young, you're young. What were you doing all this afternoon, child? In my room, trying to make over Mamma's wedding dress for tonight. Tonight? Mamie Pike invited me to a dance at their house. Very well, I'm glad you're going to be gay, he said, not seeing the faintly bitter smile that came to her face. I don't think I'll be very gay, she answered. I don't know why I go. Nobody ever asked me to dance. Why not? he asked with an old man's astonishment. I don't know. Perhaps it's because I don't dress very well. Then, as he made a sorrowful gesture, she cut him off before he could speak. Oh, it isn't altogether because we're poor. It's more I don't know how to wear what I've got the way some girls do. I never cared much, and, well, I'm not worrying, Roger. And I think I've done a good deal with Mamma's dress. It's a very grand dress. I wonder I never thought of wearing it until today. I may be, she laughed and blushed, I may be the belle of the ball. Who knows? You want me to walk over with you and come for you afterwards, I expect. Only to take me. It may be late when I come away, if a good many should ask me to dance for once. Of course I could come home alone. But Joe Loudon is going to sort of hang around outside, and he'll meet me at the gate and see me safe home. Oh, he exclaimed blankly. Isn't it all right? she asked. I think I'd better come for you, he answered gently. The truth is, I, I think you'd better not be with Joe Loudon a great deal. Why? Well, he doesn't seem a vicious boy to me, but I'm afraid he's getting rather a bad name, my dear. He's not getting one, she said gravely. He's already got one. He's had a bad name in Canaan for a long while. It grew in the first place out of shabbiness and mischief, but it did grow. And if people keep on giving him a bad name, the time will come when he'll live up to it. He's not any worse than I am, and I guess my own name isn't too good for a girl. And yet, so far, there's nothing against him except his bad name. I'm afraid there is, said Roger. It doesn't look very well for a young man of his age to be doing no better than delivering papers. It gives him time to study law, she answered quickly. If he clerked all day in a store, he couldn't. I didn't know he was studying now. I thought I'd heard that he was in a lawyer's office for a few weeks last year and was turned out for setting fire to it with a pipe. It was an accident, she interposed. But some pretty important papers were burned, and after that none of the other lawyers would have him. He's not in an office, she admitted. I didn't mean that, but he studies a great deal. He goes to the courts all the time they're in session, and he's bought some books of his own. Well, perhaps, he assented. But they say he gambles and drinks, and that last week Judge Pike threatened to have him arrested for throwing dice with some negroes behind the judge's stable what of it i'm about the only nice person in town that will have anything to do with him and nobody except you thinks i'm very nice ariel ariel 
I know all about his gambling with darkies, she continued excitedly, her voice rising, and I know that he goes to saloons and that he's an intimate friend of half the riffraff in town, and I know the reason for it, too, because he's told me. He wants to know them, to understand them, and he says some day they'll make him a power, and then he can help them. The old man laughed helplessly. But I can't let him bring you home, my dear. She came to him slowly and laid her hands upon his shoulders. Grandfather and granddaughter were nearly of the same height, and she looked squarely into his eyes. Then you must say it is because you want to come for me, not because I mustn't come with Joe. But I think it is a little because you mustn't come with Joe, he answered, especially from the pipes. Don't you see that it mightn't be well for Joe himself if the judge should happen to see him? I understand he warned the boy to keep away from the neighborhood entirely, or he would have him locked up for dice-throwing. The judge is a very influential man, you know, and as determined in matters like this, he is irritable. Oh, if you put it on that ground, the girl replied, her eyes softening, I think you'd better come for me yourself. Very well. I put it on that ground, he returned, smiling upon her. Then I'll send Joe word and get supper, she said, kissing him. It was the supper hour not only for them, but everywhere in Canaan, and the cold air of the streets bore up and down and around corners the smell of things frying. The dining-room windows of all the houses threw bright patches on the snow of the side-yards. The windows of other rooms, except those of the kitchens, were dark, for the rule of the place was puritanical in thrift, as in all things, and the good housekeepers disputed every record of the meters with unhappy gas collectors. There was no better housekeeper in town than Mrs. Loudon, nor the thriftier, but hers was one of the few houses in Canaan that evening which showed bright lights in the front rooms while the family were at supper. It was proof of the agitation caused by the arrival of Eugene that she forgot to turn out the gas in her parlor and in the chamber she called a library on her way to the evening meal. That might not have been thought a cheerful feast for Joe Loudon. The fatted calf was upon the board, but it had not been provided for the prodigal who in this case was the brother that stayed at home. The feat rewarded the good brother, who had been in strange lands, and the good one had found much honor in his wanderings, as he carelessly let it appear. Mrs. Loudon brightened inexpressibly whenever Eugene spoke of himself, and consequently she glowed most of the time. Her husband, a heavy, melancholy, silent man with a grizzled beard and no mustache, lowered at joe throughout the meal but appeared to take a strange comfort in his stepson's elegance and polish eugene wore new evening clothes and was lustrous to eye and ear joe escaped as soon as he could though not before the count of his later sins had been set before eugene in detail in mass and in all of their length breadth and thickness his father spoke but once after nodding heavily to confirm all points of mrs loudon's recital you better use any influence you've got with your brother he said to eugene to make him come to time i can't do anything with him 
If he gets in trouble, he needn't come to me. I'll never help him again. I'm tired of it. Eugene glanced twinklingly at the outcast. I didn't know he was such a roarer as all that, he said lightly, not taking Joe as of enough consequence to be treated as a sinner. This encouraged Mrs. Loudon to pathos upon the subject of her shame before other women when Joe happened to be mentioned, and the supper was finished with the topic. Joe slipped away through the kitchen, sneakingly and climbed the back fence. In the alley he lit a cheap cigarette, and thrusting his hands into his pockets and shivering violently, for he had no overcoat, walked away singing to himself, Spanish cavalier stood in his retreat, his teeth affording an appropriate though involuntary castanet accompaniment. His movements throughout the earlier part of that evening are of uncertain report. It is known that he made a partial payment of forty-five cents at a second-hand bookstore for a number of volumes, grindstaff on torts and some others, which he had negotiated on the installment system. It is also believed that he won twenty-eight cents playing seven-up in the little room behind Louis Farbach's bar. But these things are of little import compared to the established fact that at eleven o'clock he was one of the ball guests at the Pike Mansion. He took no active part in the festivities, nor was he one of the dancers. He was, on the contrary, the role of a quiet observer. He lay stretched at full length upon the floor of the enclosed porch. One of the strips of canvas was later found to have been loosened, wedged between the outer railing and a row of palms in green tubs. The position he occupied was somewhat too drafty to have been recommended by a physician, but he commanded between the leaves of the screening palms an excellent view of the room nearest the porch. A long window, open, afforded communication between this room, one of those used for dancing, and the dim bower which had been made of the veranda, whither flirtatious couples made their way between the dances. It was not to play eavesdropper upon any of these that the uninvited Joe had come. He was not there to listen and it is possible that, had the curtains of other windows afforded him the chance to behold the dance, he might not have risked the dangers of his present position. He had not the slightest interest in the whispered coquetries that he heard. He watched only to catch now and then, over the shoulders of the dancers, a fitful glimpse of a pretty head that flitted across the window, the amber hair of Mamie Pike. He shivered in the drafts, and the floor of the porch was cement, painful to elbow and knee, the space where he lay cramped and narrow. But the golden bubbles of her hair, the shimmer of her dainty pink dress, and the fluffy wave of her lace scarf as she crossed and recrossed in a waltz, left him, apparently, in no discontent. He watched with parted lips his pale cheeks reddening whenever those fair glimpses were his. At last she came out to the veranda with Eugene and sat upon a little divan, so close to Joe that, daring wildly in the shadow, 
he reached out a trembling hand and let his fingers rest upon the end of her scarf which had fallen from her shoulders and touched the floor she sat with her back to him as did eugene you've changed i think since last summer he heard her say reflectively for the worse ma cherie joe's expression might have been worth seeing when eugene said ma cherie for it was known in the loudon household that mr bantry had failed to pass his examination in the french language no she answered but you've seen so much and accomplished so much since then you've become so polished and so she paused and then continued but perhaps i'd better not say it you might be offended no i want you to say it he returned confidently and his confidence was fully justified for she said well then i mean that you've become so thoroughly a man of the world now i've said it you are offended aren't you not at all not at all replied mr bantry preventing by a masterful effort his pleasure from showing in his face though i suppose you mean to imply that i'm rather wicked oh no said mamie with profound admiration not exactly wicked university life is fast nowadays eugene admitted it's difficult not to be drawn into it and i suppose you look down on poor little canaan now and everybody in it oh no he laughed indulgently not at all not at all i find it very amusing all of it not you he answered becoming very grave honestly don't you her young voice trembled a little honestly indeed truly eugene leaned very close to her and the words were barely audible you know i don't and i'm glad she whispered and joe saw his stepbrother touch her hand but she rose quickly there's the music she cried happily it's a waltz and it's yours joe heard her little high heels tapping gaily towards the window followed by the heavier tread of eugene but he did not watch them go he lay on his back with the hand that had touched mamie's scarf pressed across his closed eyes the music of that waltz was of the old-fashioned swingingly sorrowful sort and it would be hard to say how long it was after that before the boy could hear the air played without a recurrence of the bitterness of that moment the rhythmical pathos of the violins was in such accord with a faint sound of weeping which he heard near him presently that for a little while he believed this sound to be part of the music and part of himself then it became more distinct and he raised himself on one elbow to look about very close to him sitting upon the divan in the shadow was a girl wearing a dress of beautiful silk she was crying softly her face in her hands End of chapter three